Welcome back to the Der Show. Lots of breaking news today relating to um, former President Trump. You know, it's amazing. People who want to see Trump disappear from public view are <laughs> just putting him in the forefront of, of everything. I mean, they, the media, in some respects, created him. CNN, who hated him, uh, really made him president in, in many ways. And, uh, and, and, and the media is keeping him in the, in the, public, in the public light. Um, um, most recently now, this lawsuit uh, filed, I think, today by District Attorney Bragg um, involving, obviously, these, these uh, issues. The, the lawsuit is directed against uh, Republican members of Congress, Jim Jordan particularly, who are planning to have um, hearings here in New York about uh, Bragg and about the prosecution. And they're going to focus on a very good lawyer, a lawyer who has always had an excellent reputation, um, Assistant District Attorney Pomerantz, who had served in the office for many years and was a trusted aide to several uh district attorneys in that uh, highly, highly wanted office, uh, the office that Frank Hogan sat in, the office that um, Bob Morgenthau uh, sat in, and, and, and others as well. Um, and now Bragg shames that office um, by bringing this non-indictment. You know, I go over it again. Uh, it's not an indictment. I've I read it again uh, just tonight, today, preparation of the show. It's a series of checks and invoices listed, 34 of them, in search of a legal theory. But there is no legal theory. The, the legal theories that have been suggested are so preposterous that it's just, just hard to take seriously, uh, even calling this thing an indictment. So there's this lawsuit um, in which Bragg is trying to prevent Congress from uh, subpoenaing uh, witnesses from Bragg's office, people who have left the office, people who are in the office, and 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 him, him himself. I want to want to do an analogy, and I think that may help us understand why there's some basis for Jordan's uh, claims. Let's go back to the 1960s when I was uh, in the civil rights movement, and let's assume that a bunch of Southern sheriffs, some of whom were members of the Ku Klux Klan, some of whom were, you know, just Jim Crow segregationists, started prosecuting civil rights workers. And let's assume a democratically controlled uh, House committee then tried to subpoena the prosecutor saying, why are you picking on these people? They didn't spit on the sidewalk. They didn't put their cigarettes out on the sidewalk. And even if they did, why are you charging them with felonies? Spitting on the sidewalk is not even a misdemeanor. It's an offense. Uh, you've accused them of destroying government property. Well, everything would be different. Democrats would be applauding Congress uh, seeking to get information about why these people were being uh, prosecuted. Um, but the same Democrats today are appalled when a Republican control committee is trying to get some answers to why Bragg indicted Trump and, and wants to know what information maybe Pomerantz has. He's, after all, published a book. And if you publish a book, I think you basically waived your rights to 
uh, privacy. I would be thrilled to be called by a committee to explain why I wrote Get Trump. Um, um, I have no secrets, um, and Pomerantz should have no secrets. Um, he did disclose materials that were probably confidential uh, within the office of the um, district attorney. Um, he didn't disclose grand jury material. He's too smart for that, and, and obviously that's a crime. Um, but he did write a book, and it seems to me it's fair game to ask him about his book and what impact his book may have had on the decision by Bragg to prosecute. So I'm not going to predict what the outcome of the case will be, certainly not in front of a New York uh, a judge uh, or even the Second Circuit. But uh, I am here to say that uh, it is it's, it, it raises serious questions on both sides. Uh, you generally don't want Congress interfering with legitimate law enforcement. But remember, this is a case where foreign policy of the United States is involved. The president of El Salvador, I think, spoke for a lot of American allies when he said in a tweet, stop lecturing us about democracy. You're having a local prosecutor threatened with imprisonment, the man who's running against your incumbent president. That's banana republic stuff. And you're lecturing us about democracy, it seems to me Congress has some role to play in seeing whether or not that uh, a local prosecution of this kind can affect foreign policy. After all, we are the spokesperson for democracies all over the world. Certainly since Jimmy Carter's administration, it has been part of American foreign policy to promote democracy and to uh, promote electoral uh, freedom and we would be complaining bitterly if a South American country, uh, a local prosecutor, indicted the man running against the president of the, of the country. So it's going to be interesting to see how the courts deal with this um, political decision. And, of course, Jim Jordan is, is first and foremost a politician. His political decision to have hearings about the political decision to brag to prosecute. But now I want to switch a little bit and go south, uh, not as far south as I went in the civil rights movement, uh, not as far south as I go during the winter in Miami Beach. But I want to go to Fulton County, um, the Atlanta, Georgia area, where the investigation of Donald Trump is heating up and where those who are out to get Trump, get Trump, are counting on Fulton County being the vehicle for getting him. Remember, there are four investigations, all of which are covered in detail in, in, in Get Trump. By the way, Get Trump was the number one um, nonfiction adult book bestseller over, over the weekend. Um, thanks to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I think it sends a message to Bragg. But in Get Trump, I go through all four of the investigations. So today I want to focus on the one in Georgia because people think that's the most serious. And some people think Washington is more serious. Some people think Florida. I don't think Florida the legal case is more serious in Florida, but it's going to be hard to prosecute the Democratic, the Republican candidate for president for possessing classified material without also prosecuting the Democratic incumbent president who also uh, possessed classified material. They may be able to get Trump on obstruction of justice. Um, Biden cooperated uh, fully and immediately. Trump did not. But um, the argument Trump's lawyers will make, and they're very strong arguments, is that he simply 
protected his legal rights. Uh, he didn't do anything that obstructed justice. He, like any person who is facing uh, the potential of legal charges, uh, protested and didn't just give in. There's no obligation to give in. Failure to give in is not obstruction of justice. Otherwise, I'd probably be spending my 20th or 30th term in prison. My job as a criminal defense attorney is to prevent the government from getting its way to do everything legal and ethical and moral and constitutional uh, to stop the government from prevailing. Uh, that's not obstruction of justice. That's the Sixth Amendment and the Seventh Amendment to the, and the Fifth Amendment and the First Amendment to the, to the Constitution and also the body of the Constitution, which prohibits ex post facto and, and bills of attainers. So um, that's going to be a hard one. Washington is going to be a hard one, too, because he did say in his very ill-advised speech, at which he hadn't made the speech, making that speech is a good reason for people to vote against him. And you have a perfect right to do that or vote for him if you like the speech. I didn't like the speech. But in the speech, in a part that was doctored by the January 6th non-committee, uh, the, the kangaroo committee, um, when they showed the January 6th speech, they doctored the tape to eliminate the words peacefully and patriotically. But the words peacefully and patriotically are on the tape and they can't be erased from history. And that probably will preclude any kind of an effective prosecution against him in Washington, D.C., unless they have more evidence, unless they have more statements that he may have made. And, and of course, failure to stop people from going into the Capitol is not a crime. Uh, and so uh, here we are in Fulton County. In Fulton County, again, unless they have more evidence, the case seems to rest on a recorded telephone call. And it seems to rest on a handful of words in the recorded telephone call where Trump implores the Secretary of State and says, look, I, I just need around 11,000 something uh, votes. I just need to find, to find 11,000 some odd votes. Uh, the use of the word find, whatever Trump may have meant in the recesses of his mind, is not relevant. What's relevant is what he said. And what he said to the Secretary of State is I need to find. Find has a dictionary meaning, as I've said before on this show. Find, to find means to discover something that's there. It's there. It's not made up. It's not concocted. It's not manufactured. If I tell you to go find something, find the watch that I lost, find my wallet, find my glasses. Um, just today, I was going to see my doctor and I wanted to give him one of my books. Um, and I called my wife and I said, can you find that book? And she couldn't. She searched through my books, but she couldn't find that one. But it was there. I got home and I then searched through places where she didn't. And I, I found the book. It was there to be found. I didn't ask her to write the book. I didn't ask her to manufacture the book. I didn't ask her to pretend there was a book. I asked her to find the book. And that's what President Trump said to the Secretary of State. Find, find, find 11,000 votes. And find has a dictionary meaning. And the law is clear under principles of what's called lenity. When you have two possible interpretations, you always have to pick the one that benefits the defendant, not one that benefits the 
prosecution. It's an aspect of the government's obligation to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt, though it has a different uh, provenance and different history. But you can't prosecute a person by saying, well, he said fine, but he meant concoct. No, no, he said fine. And that's going to have to prevail. And that's going to have to be the basis for any investigation. And unless they can find, and here I use the word advisedly, unless the prosecution can find other tapes or other testimony or other statements made by Trump that are inconsistent with the recorded statement of fine, they're not going to be able to uh, prosecute unless he said to somebody directly, not implied, but said directly, look, I know the votes weren't there, but if you can make them up, if you can, you know, write in some votes that, uh, that, that, that aren't there, if you can fake it, of course that's a crime. But fine is not a crime. And so I just don't think there can be a valid prosecution. In, in, in my book, Get Trump, I go through that case particularly in, in great detail because that's the case that so many people are hanging their hat on. Let's just move back for a second. I say hanging their hat on. What you have out there is a cadre of people who are determined to get Trump, hence the title of, of my book. They're determined to get him by hook or by crook, by lawful or unlawful, by ethical or unethical means. They're determined to get Trump. And that's their goal. Get Trump. They know the name of the defendant. They know the target. Now they have to figure out, can they get him? How can they get him? They tried New York. It's not going to work in New York. That, that phony indictment it will never survive appellate review all the way up to the top courts. Now they're going to Fulton County in Georgia, and they're trying to get Trump through the vehicle of his tape-recorded statement. But they're not going to be able to do it if they apply the law fairly. Now, I'm not here predicting what the outcome will be. You'll, you'll remember, maybe, I even predicted he may be convicted in New York, just like I would have easily predicted that anybody who's been on the sidewalk in the South in 1962 while watching or attending a demonstration would be convicted. It didn't mean it was right. You know, the Drudge Report totally misinterpreted what I said. Um, they said correctly that I said that Trump might very well be convicted, but then they jumped to the conclusion. But And the reason for that is because the indictment is valid. No, no, the indictment is invalid as spitting on the sidewalk felony would have been in the South. But as you know from everything I've said, I don't let my personal wishes interfere with my predictions. But my prediction in the South would have been that there'd be a conviction, despite the fact there was no case. And my conviction in New York is that there may very well be a conviction, despite the fact that there's no case. Um, you just are not going to get jurors who want to walk around the city with people pointing a finger at them saying, that's the juror who freed Trump. If Trump becomes president, it's her fault. It's his fault. The same thing is going to be true of, of judges, which is why I predict there won't be a transfer of the case to Queens or Rockland County, though there should be. I predict that there won't be a dismissal of the indictment for failure to state a crime, though there should be. <clears throat> I predict that there won't be a victory for Trump under the statute of limitations, 
though there should be. But don't confuse my predictions with what I think the law ought to be. The law ought to be that the case should get thrown out on all of those grounds immediately. It should never have been brought. That's different from my prediction about what a jury in New York City, in Manhattan, would do if the case went to trial. So don't confuse what I think should happen with what I predict will happen. And I think the same thing is true in, in Georgia. I don't know whether or not there'll be an indictment in Georgia. I don't know the prosecutors. And I don't know whether there is an indictment, a judge would throw it out, or whether or not a jury would convict. I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with Georgia to make that kind of uh, prediction. I do know for 100% certainty, based on 60 years of experience, uh, not only practicing and teaching criminal law, but also teaching a course called Ethics and Tactics in Criminal Prosecution, an ethics course, I know with 100% certainty that if the only evidence against Trump in, um, in, in Georgia is his statement on the tape, uh, I need to find, find th- uh, 11,000 or whatever the number of votes was, I can tell you with 100% certainty that is not a legitimate basis for bringing a case. So we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. And in days to come, I'll go through the other cases as well. The Florida case, which is the strongest one legally and the weakest one politically. And I'll go through the Washington, D.C. case, which is weak both politically and legally, but strong emotionally. So we'll go through all of those cases and we'll come to the conclusion, hopefully, that I come to and get Trump. Namely, there's nothing there. This is not a case to criminally prosecute the man who's running for president against the incumbent. It is certainly not a case for members of one party, the Democrats, to try to prosecute the leading candidate of the other party who's trying to unseat the incumbent who belongs to the party of the prosecutor. If you're going to do that, it better be the strongest case in history. It better be that case that Trump talked about hypothetically of a videotape of him shooting somebody on on Fifth Avenue. Uh, you know, they tried this once before in history. People wrote to me about my historical analyses. After he left the vice presidency, uh, Aaron Burr, having just killed Alexander Hamilton while he was vice president of the United States, people forget that, that his crime, which would be today probably uh, felony murder, or uh, at least very, very serious degree of, of murder, was committed while he was vice president of the United States. And um, he could have been prosecuted. It was against the law of New Jersey, but he wasn't uh, prosecuted. The, the principle wasn't tested as to whether or not a vice sitting vice president can be prosecuted. But shortly after he left, he went down south to Louisiana and allegedly organized an army that was allegedly going to do and commit some treason attack. And he was tried for treason. And one of the greatest trials in American history presided over by John Marshall, the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court, prosecuted by Thomas Jefferson's cousin. Thomas Jefferson personally called witnesses into his Oval Office. It wasn't Oval at the time, but personally called witnesses into the president's office 
and said to these witnesses, if you testify against Aaron Burr, I will give you a pardon. That was the beginning of the concept of immunity uh, before statutes allowed immunity to be given. Jefferson took a major role in the prosecution of Aaron Burr. He hated Aaron Burr with a passion, and he honestly believed that Aaron Burr was committing treason. Well, uh, the case was lost. Aaron Burr was acquitted uh, under a verdict of not proven rather than not guilty. But um, the, you heard about that. But um, this is the first time that a former president has ever been indicted. And certainly the first time that a man running for president, major candidate, um, um, Eugene B. Debs, was in jail when he ran for president as a socialist. Actually got a million votes in, in those days. A socialist could get a million votes. Today, probably a socialist could get a million votes. Uh, after all, you know, there are socialists now in the Senate. Uh, Bernie Sanders is an avowed socialist. Uh, members of the squad are socialists. By the way, I have to tell you how disappointed I am in, in, in Joe Biden, what he did yesterday. He was speaking in Minnesota and in the audience was uh, this racist, bigoted, anti-Semitic, American-hating member of Congress, Ilan O'Mara. And this is somebody who should be marginalized by everybody in the Democratic Party. But President Biden went out of his way to uh, shout her out and and say how glad she was. Uh, she was there. Shame, shame. That should not have happened. And it is certainly going to be a factor in in my decision about who to who to vote for. At the end of the day, I consider everything and I don't make up my mind until the very last uh, minute when all the evidence is in. But I have to tell you, that disappointed me enormously. Look, look, Joe Biden's a nice guy, and he likes to say hello to everybody. But uh, to me, that puts him in the category of uh, people who praise those in Charlottesville uh, who are saying Jews shall not be, we, 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 we will not be replaced by Jews. Uh, this woman is, is the worst form of bigot. And it's, it's a scandal that she was elected by the voters of um, her district of Minnesota. Nothing could be done to stop that. But the president of the United States uh, should not uh, be giving her legitimacy by praising her on the stump. So, um, President Biden, strike one against you. Sorry. OK, <clears throat> let's turn back to some letters. We didn't have letters yesterday because I was so excited about it. Hamilton and spent so much time on, 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 on the Hamilton Reynolds pamphlet that we ran out of time for questions. So today we have time for questions. Uh, the first one, the first couple are about the Hamilton involvement yesterday. Professor Dershowitz, I love your history lessons. And I especially like how excited you get when talking about history, American or otherwise. Well, I just, I love history. I was not a history major. I was I, I took a lot of courses in history. I was a political science uh, major and philosophy minor, but I took courses in English history, American constitutional history, and I've read an enormous amount, particularly of American constitutional history. Obviously, in preparation for my argument against the impeachment of Donald Trump, I went back and I read, I think, every word ever written about impeachment during the founding uh, era of America. Um, such anecdotes from my history are quite helpful. Thanks. I really appreciate your taking time on Hamilton and his nemesis, Burr. <coughs> Very interesting history. So when I did this, my, my son, Elon, who 
produces the show, his first instinct was, you know, maybe overdid a little bit on, on Hamilton. Maybe the people will be bored. And I said, Let, let's wait and see. You may be right. Um, today's letters seem to suggest that within limits, people like to hear my take on history. One other letter. My father used to read the Federalist Papers. I also have a very early copy, not an original copy, but a very early copy of the Federalist Papers. I came close to being able to buy an original newspaper, uh, a, a column that had the second of the Federalist Papers. You know, they were first printed in newspapers, but I was outbid and I, I never could get it. But I have a fairly early copy of the Federalist Papers, and I read them all when I did the, the Trump impeachment. And boy, are they brilliant. I tell you, every op-ed writer should be assigned to read the Federalist Papers. You know, the writing is a little stilted uh, 18th century style. But <clears throat> when you read Hamilton's writing, and remember, he was writing this stuff pretty quickly. I mean, you know, given just hours to write it when you read um, um, Madison's writings. Some of them are just brilliant, John Jay. Um, these are three of the most brilliant commentators on American history, and they're writing op-eds for local newspapers, and then they put them together into what has been called the Federalist Papers. And, you know, Madison was not a Federalist, so it's a little bit of a misnomer to call them the Federalist Papers, obviously. Hamilton was, and Hamilton is the major author. Dersh, do any of Hamilton's paperback pa pa paperwork reference his supposed Jewish ancestry or yeshiva education? Um, okay, so here's the story. There's nothing to that claim, uh, Jewish ancestry. So um, he was an orphan, as you know if you saw Hamilton, um, the play. Uh, he was brought up on a small island in the um, Caribbean. Um, his mother um, had a, was married to Mr. Hamilton, who presumably, but not certainly, but presumably is the father of Alexander Hamilton. But she then had a relationship with a man named Levinus, I think, or Levitus, I think Levinus, I, I, I didn't do the homework on this, who was almost certainly a Sephardic Jew. And um, he mistreated her terribly. And the interesting thing I find is that um, Hamilton, although he loved his mother and saw her mistreated by somebody who almost certainly was Jewish, didn't have an ounce of anti-Semitism in him. He was, in fact, uh, 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 he loved Jews. He only said positive things about Jews. Now, he did go to a school on the island, which had a lot of Jewish students. And... Um, and one of the reasons was he was not apparently allowed to go to the Christian school. Um, some people say because he may have had a Jewish heritage. The better argument, and I've read all the historical material on this, is because his paternity was not completely certain. It wasn't clear that he was a Christian on all sides. And so uh, he did not go to the regular school, which was a Christian school. And so he, like Elon Musk, went to a, a Jewish school. You know, Elon Musk, too, people think maybe he's Jewish. He's not. But he went to a Jewish school in, in South Africa because the Jewish schools in South Africa and Australia and some of the other places are among the best schools. And a lot of non-Jewish kids 
um, have gone to those schools and have educated Canada too, have been educated at uh, at Jewish schools. So um, the Hamilton story, you know, Jews love, I'm among them, you know, to claim everybody who's good. There are claims that Lincoln had Jewish heritage. The town of Lincoln, where the Lincoln family came from, was a town that was substantially Jewish. There was an exhibit not so long ago uh, in the New York Historical Society, which showed Lincoln's connection uh, to the Jews. He also was somebody who was incredibly supportive of Jews. You may remember that uh, President Grant, who was then the head of the uh, Northern Army, issued an infamous uh, declaration saying no Jews would be permitted to sell their wares in a certain part of the combat area. And Lincoln immediately uh, overruled that and said, no, 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 not on my watch. We're not having rules that apply to Jews. Uh, if there were people, individual people who, you know, didn't behave properly, that's fine. But you can't categorize Jews. But there's no evidence uh, that Lincoln had that had Jewish heritage. His major supporters early on in his career were, were Jewish, and he had very very positive affection for Jews. And when he was assassinated, the Jewish community mourned heavily and there were all kinds of um, events in, in synagogues. But again, uh, Jews love, 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 love to claim, you know, Sandy Koufax. Oh my God. Lived a block away from me. Uh, Hank Greenberg. You know, uh, there aren't too many Jewish superstar athletes, but boy, we certainly go out of our way to, to claim them. Um, we're not so sure about, you know, the bad guys. Madoff? Oh, was he really Jewish? Oh, I guess he was Jewish. Well, no, not really. Uh, so, you know, like any ethnic group, uh, we take pride in those among us who have done great things. And um, we try to, as much as possible, deny the vices of those who've done uh, terrible things. But... Um, We've never had a Jewish president. We came awfully close to having a Jewish vice president. Uh, I think I'm an election denier. Um, I think the 2000 election was legitimately won um, by uh, uh, the Gore um, uh, ticket, which included Joe Lieberman as vice president. Indeed, you've probably heard me say it, and I wrote it in my book, Supreme Injustice. Um, um, one of the reasons that Bush won the election, is that several hundred people, enough to have changed the result of the election in Palm Beach County because of the illegal butterfly ballot, voted for Pat Buchanan, thinking they were voting for Joe Lieberman. Of course, you don't vote for vice president after the, 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 after the Burr-Jefferson fiasco back in 1800. You vote, you vote separately. You used to be voting together. And you don't vote for the vice president. You vote for the president. But uh, people probably enough to have changed the outcome of the Florida vote, voted for, uh, did not vote for uh, the person they intended to vote for, Gore. They instead voted for Pat Buchanan, and that may have been enough to change uh, the election. All right, that's our history lesson for today. Uh, see you tomorrow.